And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation that I'm hoping helps your business grow. You hear so much about disruption and everyone wants to disrupt an industry and do something different, but what does that really mean? That's part of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, And our guest is also the CEO and founder of one of Kansas City's top startups and has been on the show before. Now, before I tell you who that is, I want to remind you that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. I mentioned that today's guest has been on the show before. Super proud of all of the progress that she has made. With me today, I've got Caressa Hutchinson, and she's the founder and CEO of Modern Health. You go to Modern Health, and I'm I'm not going to try to spell that because there's no E in it, but there's a link in the show notes that will take you right where you need to go. I guess I should just go ahead and jump right in and say, Caressa, welcome back to Startup Hustle. Thank you, Matt. Great to be here. So at, at, I don't even remember what show number you were. It's been hundreds of shows since you were in here. And the the first time you're on the show, you were in a very early stage of your business. And um, you've obviously grown a lot. Congratulations on making our top startups. So we've got a great <laughs> list this year. It's a uh, great company, but why don't we just go ahead and and kind of hit the rewind button a little bit and assume that nobody listening has heard that episode, and maybe they have, maybe they haven't. We'll put a link to that in the show notes too. But give us a little backstory about you and the problem you solve at Modern Health. Sure, yeah, I think it's been a couple hundred episodes ago, probably since I was here last time. And um, you're right, a lot has changed. So, um, just to start with a little bit of my backstory, um, I actually started in healthcare in my early 20s as a medical coder. Um, did not grow up, you know, with healthcare providers, so that wasn't a path I was going down. Um, while working at that ho- at the hospital doing medical coding, I had some doctors that came down and approached me saying you know, hey, you're always up asking us about these patients and, you know, maybe your fit really is at the bedside. And so through their encouragement, I went up and started um, being a medical assistant. I spent a year doing that and decided that I needed to learn more to be able to help patients more. So I went back and went to nursing school, became a registered nurse, um, started working at a level one trauma hospital, absolutely loved patient care, loved being a nurse. Um, But there was this constant kind of theme through every piece of that. And it was, frankly, in my opinion, not a lot of common sense, to be honest. Um, A lot of, you know, healthcare costs going up, the the actual access to care, the the healthiness of our people was decreasing, and there wasn't a lot being done for that. And so at the hospital level, I started trying to build some kind of community-based outreach or community-based healthcare that kind of tied all of those pieces together in this completely fragmented, you know, just confusing system. And um, 
you know, didn't, didn't get very far, you know, trying to build that from the hospital. Turns out, you know, their business model isn't necessarily to keep people out of the hospital. So at that point, I walked away and, and really started trying to figure out, you know, how, how can I do something different? And at that point, I stumbled upon in my research a um, healthcare model in the Netherlands that made a lot of common sense to me. Um, they have the best outcomes in the world and the lowest cost in the world. And it, you know, to me, I just, I, at that point, I just decided this is what I've got to pursue. And I just started chasing that business model. So with the, the platform that you've built, it's a mix between tech and services because there's people need to be on the other side of the technology, correct? Correct. Okay. So let's, let's, I, I still want to define this a little bit. So if I'm a patient, what is modern health doing for me? Sure, absolutely. So we can talk about the service first, um, and then kind of how we've you know built that throughout the entire supply chain of healthcare to really impact you know even further that customer um, patient experience. But for the patient or you as a member, um, what we do is you have access to a dedicated primary care doctor, a dedicated registered nurse. Um, those that doctor and that nurse are actually empowered with understanding every benefit that you have. So they understand how your healthcare is paid for. They also understand um, and have access to resources to be able to buy discounted um, medications, look into procedures, look at data for who are the best, you know, outcome providers in your in your area, and how can we help you kind of navigate through that um, and get the best care possible. So. Not only can they reach out to that nurse and doctor anytime they have, you know, a healthcare need that you would typically think of with primary health, um, they also can reach out to that nurse um, if they have any consumer questions. So I'm thinking about getting a knee surgery. How do I go about that with my current, you know, insurance plan? Should I be doing something outside of that plan, or should I be, you know, actually spending money on a deductible? Or is there a better option? Am I going to the right provider? And this is all done in a telehealth environment. Like you don't actually go and see the doctor. Correct. Which is, well, which is convenient. I would imagine like, okay, so I'm one of those people that never goes to the doctor because it's like a pain in the ass to go to the doctor. Yeah, that's so abnormal. (laughs) I mean, well, is it? (laughs) No. Okay. So that's what most people run into, right? Mm -hmm. And I pay a, a ton of money for health insurance that I, I barely ever use. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I go like once a year cause the doctor like harasses me to come in and like do some blood tests and then like talks to me for like 10 minutes and quite honestly, usually doesn't do anything that probably couldn't be done online. Well, there is a, the statistic is 80% of healthcare can be done, you know, without um, being seen in person. Now we do have partners in person where if we need an in-person visit or, you know, we need to um, do something in person that we're able to do that. Um, But for the most part, that doesn't happen. And that's where your doctor or nurse tells you, it's like, hey, dude, you need to actually go to a doctor. Right. In this situation. Correct. Okay. Okay. So last time you were in this, this business was in a pretty early stage for you. What's changed over the last couple of years? I would imagine that COVID kind of lit the fuse on, on telehealth, meaning like it was any, anything tele, you know, anything right. that was remote or any tools that, that benefit, that move that stuff forward seemed to have 
been on the in the plus column during the pandemic as opposed to some businesses obviously things that were in person you know restaurants theaters live music not in the plus column right yeah sure it was a combination of things um the covid you know obviously the pandemic did did really have to speed up the 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 process of people becoming comfortable with being able to do things like you know get treatment for for um healthcare purposes um but there was also a lot of other, I think, things in the play. So the overall healthcare industry has been trending in the wrong direction as a whole for a long time now. So you've got that going on. You've got the pain points of the employers, I think, getting to just you know a point to where the pain is so so much with the increase in costs and the the lack of their employees being you know healthy. They were already really like getting to a point where they're willing to try something different. You know, the pain, like I said, just got unbearable for, I think, a lot of employers. Um, the fact that that was coupled right at the time with the pandemic, you know, um, and did did really get everybody comfortable with using telehealth, um, kind of all of those pieces together sped up the process, I think, of what we were doing and made us really positioned well. In addition to that, um, we changed our go-to-market strategy probably 100% since last time I was here with you. Um, Tell me more about that. <laughs> um, so we were really trying to figure out our go-to-market strategy when I was um, here last time, and we were going direct to business. So my value proposition was that through this membership, these um, your employees are going to have better access to care. They're going to be healthier. They're going to be more engaged. You know, a lot of soft um, ROI. Um, when we realize what we're really doing is going to these employers and while they do want to provide that service for their employees at the same time they're getting hammered you know on their actual insurance costs and we're not affecting that so at at that level if we're just an add-on to your insurance that savings is going to go back to that insurance plan you're going to have no insight to it you're probably still going to get that 20 percent increase and you're also paying for our membership on the side so that was a really tough ROI um, for us to be able to, you know, present as a value proposition to a company that was already struggling with the healthcare. Um, so at that point, we kind of dug in and said, we got to solve the whole problem. You know, we can't go to an employer that has this huge health insurance problem and just be this point solution that just, you know, deals with the consumer itself. There's a bigger problem. Um, it took a year of us really diving in and figuring out the payer side of healthcare really reverse engineering with some really smart people on my team to figure out how is this paid for? How does this entire supply chain work? And how can we kind of disrupt each piece of it and partner with pieces of it that we feel like are aligned in making healthcare, you know, focused on value and outcomes. And that's how it's paid for, not on volume and running people kind of through the mill. Um, so when you're able to do that and you're able to together provide the entire solution and then you're able to go back to an employer and say we have an entire solution that not only provides your employers you know better access to care um, a better experience but also saves your bottom line also starts to reduce your costs and trend your healthcare costs the other way so anytime you want to disrupt any industry or a huge industry, not everyone likes that. Like you mentioned the hospital, uh, uh, well, the hospital, the hospital's a business and it is, well, you'd look at like COVID, the hospitals were basically failing because they weren't 
doing elective surgeries and a lot of other stuff. And, uh, you know, you have a good point. I can't say I've ever really thought about the fact that, I mean, that's like a hotel. They want their occupancy high, um, not people on the other end of a phone line. Did that create problems as you tried to roll some of these things out? Because you're talking about some pretty heavy, I mean, this is like one of the biggest industries in the world. And I mean, there's a lot, I, I would think that this is David versus Goliath, you know, or. <laughs> yeah, it feels like that. I just saw Caressa a picture. versus Goliath, I mean, whatever. <laughs> I saw a picture of the uh, bull, you know, that um, on Wall Street with the little girl the other day. And mm -hmm. I was like, gosh, I feel like that most days. Um, you know, it is, it's, it is an entire industry. I mean, we just moved into our 15th state and the way that we're looking at it is we just got to go where the people that are willing to make the differences are and um, the people that are willing to make change and really prove out that, you know, this kind of leap works. Of course, there's, you know, we tease about different, I won't name specifics, insurance companies is really who is probably my Goliath. Um, the ones that are very invested in keeping things exactly the way they are, um, where they can continue to make a ridiculous amount of money. And, um, you know, it's a brilliant business model, to be honest. <laughs> well, that's what the disruption of that is. Well, I think Ice Cube said it best when he once said, big bank, take little bank. Because <laughs> it does. And I mean, that's the thing. Brilliant. Is, well, you can get pushed around. I mean, that's the thing is there's, you know, and there's a lot of truth and merit because when, you know, when you're a startup and, you know, it's just, you're not blue cross blue shield. Like, I don't even know what the amount of volume they push every year, but it's massive. It's, and, yes. and, you know, here's the reality is if companies like that want to make your life difficult, they can. Absolutely. Um, that's why we focus on, you know, keeping our heads down and keeping, um, you know, just keeping that value up because when, what you can't do is, um, when you're able to take those outcomes and those case studies and those numbers to an employer, you know, they're, they're willing to go outside the name that you just spoke that I will not speak of <laughs> um, insurance plans and, and, you know, do something different. And, um, you know, we're, we're not saying there's not a place for those. I'm not trying to take over their business, but a hundred percent, but you know, they own like 90% of the markets in the country, those type of insurance carriers. So it's definitely time for some alternative um, options to be available. Yeah, you know, it's it's challenging for me. I I witness two different worlds when it comes to healthcare because I've now got over 200 employees in the Philippines, which has nationalized healthcare. So to give you a perspective on that, that's twenty dollars a month. It's yeah. twenty bucks a month, and uh, and your employer pays half of it. Now with that, I provide extra levels of HMO, and just we kind of have our own funding pool. But it just blows my mind how affordable it, it is. Right. It, and people, well, it's a way different level of care. No, not necessarily. I mean, it depends on what you're doing, you know, and in some cases, you know, it's, it just really makes me look at, I, I, it costs me as much to insure five people here as it does about to about half of my employees Oh, every yeah. month over there. And it's just like, you're kind of like, wow, you know, there's something really broken about this. And, you know, there's, uh, you know, it's, it's really, it's really kind of shocking and it's kind of, you know, eye opening. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it has become, you know, like a number two or number three in the PL for most um, employers. So yeah. whether you want to be in healthcare or not as an employer, you're in healthcare. Right. And, and that's something that, you know, for those of you that want to start a business, well, you're not going to start a business in the United States and not give people a health plan 
Well, you could, but you're probably going to have a very difficult time hiring exactly. people. Exactly. Now, so I do see, I have seen, noticed over, well, largely through the show and talking to different people that there are a lot of clever and innovative solutions that are out there. So with that, are you finding that what you're doing and the telehealth thing, is that getting crowded or... Sure. I mean, it's, I, I think the technology space of it's been getting crowded since even when I was first starting. Um, what you, what I see getting crowded is uh, point solutions. So different solutions for different parts, different disease processes, a specific um, data set, a specific, you know, um, maybe remote monitoring tool. Those things are very much commodities. Um, I, I'm very proud of our technology, but to be honest, you know, it's not what we do. It's a tool that we use. And it's really the way that we engage our members and our entire process of kind of encapsulating all of those pieces of the plan and buffering that from the member experience. So it's not just I have 20 apps on my phone and I have to call this one for this thing. And I need this one for a coupon for my medication. And I need, you know, this one for surgery or this one for counseling. It's kind of we're one of the only ones I feel like that are effectively pulling all of those things together and actually considering and thinking about first and foremost, the patient experience. Is this easy for them to access? Does it have everything they need? And do they trust the person on the other end, um, you know, to really be their advocate and, and help them walk through that? Yeah. And, you know, so many people I talk to on this show have like a two-headed business. You know, it's like, uh, you know, yesterday I was recording an episode with, uh, uh, with a company called smart barrel and, uh, they have like an IOT solution for clocking people in and out of construction sites, but that's like two different businesses. Cause they have the, the IOT component, which is an actual like thing, like a physical thing. And then they have a whole software platform that goes with it, which means you're developing, innovating, supporting all of it, two different things. Your business is a lot like mine in regards to like you are selling human services you know, right. without, and, and that, and with that, that's very difficult to scale. You know, software shows up to work every day. Um, software, if it has 10 times more demand than it did yesterday, if it's done somewhat well, will usually support that. It doesn't mean your ability to support your users is, the same, but you know, you look at these different things and I mean, that's one of the things we've run into at full scale is we have, you know, we only hire on average one in 40 applicants. So mm -hmm. if I want to hire, if I need to hire 20 people, I got to find seven, 800 people to apply. And you get to the point where you're like, okay, where do I continue to find these people? And where do I continue to grow? Is there a cap to this? And then we have a software platform that we've built too. So we're kind of like, but without that management system, our cost of doing business would skyrocket. I would imagine yours might too. And then, and also it's just like, some of it's just a scalability thing. Cause now we went from having an office we had 20,000 square feet in a IT park and the second biggest city in the Philippines. And now nobody goes there because we're all remote. So if we hadn't started building that platform several right. years ago, uh, when the, we were even talking, should we be spending money on this? And then we became like secret geniuses when the pandemic hit, you know, but some of it, it's difficult. I mean, do you feel like, do you feel like you have two completely different sides of your business that are both like, require a lot of effort, energy, capital, all of it? 
Well, sure. <laughs> uh, simple answer is yes. Um, I'm probably going to make you a little jealous because I'm, I'm in a unique position with with hiring people. So, um, you know, I'm not in a crowded space as far as clinicians haven't had the ability, especially, you know, nurses and, and even primary care doctors to to really be in a position where they felt like they were getting to do what they set out to do when they went through school. Which and, is heal people. Which is actually, you help. know, help someone and, and see it through and see them get healthier and, and, you know, be part of that process and kind of celebrate in the end when they are meeting those goals. You know, that's the stuff that we really, you know, are passionate about. And um, to be honest, we, you know, I have a waiting list of over 100 nurses that are pre-pipelined in different states across the country that are just, we stay in touch with that are just waiting for me to, you know, give them a call and tell them I'm ready and I have a population ready for them. So that's something we consistently do. Um, you, you know, we've found that my COO jokes that, you know, it's crazy how you can just tell these people have never had good support and good management, you know, just the simplest of support and the simplest of management around them they thrive. They're like ants to the hill on, all right, we finally get to help patients. Let's go. They tell all their friends. Um, and so we're always recruiting. We're always um, interviewing, getting people set up. We know who our next, you know, five to 10 hires are going to be well before we ever hire. Um, uh, well, that's didn't make me jealous because it was very similar to what we go through. I, we're on the other side of it, though. Like the demand for what we're doing is uh, in some cases exceeds our ability to get enough hireable people through, you know, it's like, I, I would love to have the issue where I had, uh, I had the next hundred people lined up. Um, part of, part of what you, know, you talk about, there, there is a, a lot of power and passion and w wanting to help people. And that's actually an angle that really works out well for us because, you know, with software developers, we have just found that they're not that sure. Everyone wants to get paid well, but they're more concerned about being challenged and moving. They want to do interesting yeah. and engaging things. And that's, that's the promise that, that we bring. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a challenge too, though. It, uh, people are people, man, and they're inconsistent. And, you know, that's why I said, that's part of why software gets such a crazy multiple with investors is because it, it's very easy to scale where people are. So your software doesn't, right. your software doesn't have a baby or have a bad you're, day. Well, it, you know, sometimes it does. Well, that's sometimes true. Actually, it does, but, yeah, but overall, like it doesn't, you know, it does, it's uh, uh, software doesn't take Christmas off. It uh, doesn't take New Year's Day off and a lot of stuff like right. that. Software doesn't require PTO and it doesn't get a better job offer. Right. And a lot of stuff like that. So are the people that work, are those all your employees? Like, do you employ that? Are you their yeah, actual the, the like only, W2 employer correct. or some or 1099 or something in that? Correct. So we, um, most of our nurses are, most of our staff is W2. We do contract with all the physicians that work for us. Um, and then we have also another side of our business that we can maybe talk about or not later on the hospital side, um, where we have about a hundred um, W2s that are PRN, meaning just per request needed. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, so you said you, you're operating in 15 different states. That means you've got 15 different states to pay taxes to. Yeah. I'm so glad. To withhold I, payroll from, to do a yeah. whole lot of different stuff. Uh, it has that, has managing that ever felt, does it just feel like a grind on some days or? 
well, it doesn't to me as much because I'm not the one dealing with that. Um, but I do hear some cuss words and some things coming from the office next to me um, as those uh, continue to roll in. I occasionally get asked a question like that. And uh, yeah, I have the same kind of um, smile um, and pain and anguish. But yeah, I'm like not the one that deals with that. Yeah, on many but it days. looks horrible. Yeah. Well, it can, yeah, it can. It can. I mean, these are, these are the things, this is the complexity of, of growing a business. And, you know, uh, recently, uh, one of my friends who's a touring musician came through town and I was just asking him, you know, how 2020 was, cause it was miserable. Like mm -hmm. they weren't, I mean, these are like, this is a guy that like sells out three to 10,000 seat venues regularly. And, I said, what was the best thing about 2020? He said, we only had to file tax tax returns in six different <laughs> states. And I was like, wow. I was like, that's not probably what you You probably want to fill them out in all 50 if you can. He's like, yeah, that'd be ideal. But he sent me a picture one year of his tax returns and they were literally like, I mean, it was like a foot tall. Because yeah. and think about that, folks, if you do business in states and you have employees in states and like this is the same thing with professional athletes when they show up in Indianapolis or Kansas City or L.A. and they're from another team, like they're making money in that town and right. they end up having to file all these taxes. And, and these things become like a tangled web of crap and compliance and all of that. And that's actually what I want to talk about next is like. So, you know, things like HIPAA and HIPAA is, you know, requirements around your data and your privacy and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And that's been such a focal point, you know, is, are there different, do you have 15 or do states do that on an individual level or is that more of a federal thing? Yeah, it's, well, it's fluid to be honest, which is really fun to chase. It's um, like tax law. Yeah, it it's really like is. Changing, um, right? And then it's also changing based on, you know, like the pandemic, there were different rules during that. There were, um, there still are different rules for telemedicine in certain states. There's different regulatory rules in different states. So it's just something we constantly have to be looking out for. Yeah, I remember. So one of the businesses I used to own, I was, uh, and the reason I quit it actually was, a ticket brokerage. And, you know, we made sales like, I mean, we would have customers in pretty much all 50 states and they were getting ready to change stuff related to that. And I was like, holy shit, I don't know, like have to have a, a compliance officer in here. And I was like, this, it, it kind of, oh, things like that as a business owner can suck the fun and the joy out of what you really showed up to do, which is often make a difference. And, you know, Matt Watson and I talk about that a lot in our episodes of Startup Hustle. It's like you show up as a founder, to, you've got 10 things you want to do, and you end up doing 36 other things until many days, weeks or months later, you finally get around to the things that you want to do. Yeah, I think that's the biggest, uh, although I'm not directly involved with managing, you know, all the different tax things that we have going with states, but I, we do feel it because it is all of a sudden pulling, you know, leadership, you know, time to doing this task oriented stuff. And you kind of got to figure out, hey, are we, you know, are we at a point now where we really need to be thinking about what we're spending our time on? And why do I have my best strategy guy on the team you know, sitting in the other room doing accounting and, and trying to get these, um, you know, different states done. So we're actually doing that right now where we've decided uh, it's time to outsource. We're pretty confident that we could just hire someone, um, but we're really stingy with um, our money, to be honest. I'm, I'm very business case driven anytime I spend money. And so 
you know, I just made the call this week. Hey, we're going to outsource these four things where all of our time is going. We're going to try that for three months. If my assumption is right, which is that just freeing up the two people's time, that's, you know, spending a lot more time than they should be on that. Um, I believe we'll be able to increase, you know, I think we'll be able to pay the revenue of what it would cost to carry that extra um, new full-time person easily within two to three months. And if that assumption is true, you know, that I'm going to be hiring that full-time. I want to talk a little bit about that again in a second. With me today, I've got Caressa Hutchinson, and she is the founder and CEO of Modern Health. There's a link in the show notes. It's M-O-D-R-N, like registered nurse, health.com. Go check out what they're doing. It's a really interesting platform. And I got to say, I have an appreciation for uh, any anybody, anything, any effort that tries to get healthcare costs and accessibility to healthcare uh, under control. Another thing I appreciate is that today's episode, Startup Hustle, is brought to you by Fullscale.io. That's my business, and I'd love to talk to you more about that. Go to the Fullscale website. If you're interested in building a software team, we help with that. We do it quickly and affordably. We have a success formula that we use with a heck of a lot of clients, go fill out the form at the Get Started page at fullscale.io and we'll reach back out and tell you more about it. Uh, you know, b- back to what we were talking about. Um, so last time we sat down for a conversation similar to this, you're at a very early stage. Here we are a couple of years later. Uh, what have you had to learn about being a leader or a business owner that, and, and for those of you that don't see Caressa may have almost just laughed herself out of the chair, but I mean, anybody that owns a business has that same reaction. So what are some of the things that you learned that you, or, or failed at? Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, a lot of growth. I mean, I feel like, I, I don't know if there's one day since last time I met you that I'm not learning something or growing in some way, you know, it's, um, it's definitely a roller coaster. Um, a lot of times, you know, a I'm bootstrapped. So that brings with it, you know, a lot of other unique challenges. Um, I'm pretty steadfast and dedicated to that, but I often feel like, you know, we're kind of like that, that bull that they're getting ready to let go and you've got to have the perfect timing on everything. So you're just riding the bull in the pin and just hold on, hold on, hold on. And, and then kind of, uh, you know, when is the right time? You can make a hire, you know, a month too early and blow your whole cash flow for the next six months. You know, just things like that, that I never had to think about as a nurse. And, and remember, that was my background. So I think I was six months into this when someone used the word startup for the first time. And I said, oh, crap, I think that's what I'm doing. <laughs> so the learning curve has had to be a lot. Um, I'd say with scaling, though, I've really had to learn I thought I was getting pretty good at delegating as the team grew, and I had to learn really quickly in the last six months probably what delegating really meant. Um, doesn't mean telling people tasks to do and worrying about everything yourself and taking on everything yourself. Um, it very much means you know being able to find the right teammates and the right people that you can work together on something with that can take over the ownership of an outcome or a milestone or a project. And knowing that you've got the right team there that you can, you know, kind of let that go for a little bit and not hover over it, micromanaging and getting in your own way, frankly. Um, I think there was, there's a lot of that for me, just getting in my own way with wanting to do everything. I, I created a, a thing, based man, it's been eight to 10 years. So um, I, I've been the founder, owner involved with several rapidly growing businesses and 
um, one of the things that I, I created, I call it the rule of yes. So I, anybody that works for me, I, I tell them, I'm like, if you think I'd say yes, 90% of the time, just don't ask. I'll deal with the 10% of the time that you're wrong. Because one of the things I realize is as your business grows, so it's like death as the owner, you can have death by you know, a thousand tiny cuts and it's, Hey, can, we're out of envelopes. Should I go buy them? Yeah. Right. Are we going to send mail anytime <laughs> in the future? Cause you shouldn't have to ask me. That's a classic rule of yes kind of thing. And I love what that. It, it, well, what it does too is, is it just like, I mean, you don't want them asking, they don't want to ask and just shit gets done. Now you got to put some boundaries around it. Like the rule of yes does not apply to, can I be an hour late for work every day for a month? Right. That's not the purpose of that. But I, I, you know, I actually created this because my wife who helped me build our first business would always ask me all this stuff. She'd have all this stuff. And I'm like, I say yes to all this right. 90% of the time, just do it. And I was like, you know what? We just have the rule of yes from now on. And I, and I spread that around and it actually took a lot of pressure off me as, as a founder. And that's something as with any, with any rapidly growing business that you can be subjected to is because you go from like having at full scale, we had a hundred employees after our first after one year. Wow. So you went from like, you, you, you get in that spot as a founder where you have to be the conduit for a lot of stuff. And then you got to figure out how to not be the, right. how are the you conduit the- or the toll booth or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Cause it'll eat you alive. Yeah. And, and then you're uh, a bottleneck for everything. Well, you can be, you and, know, and, then- and, and I am still a lot and I don't want to be. And right. I think one of the, the bigger mistakes that founders make in business leadership is continuing to try to do everything themselves. And they say, well, I don't have time to teach someone how to do it. Okay. Well then you are sentenced to doing that forever right? until you're going to release yourself out of it. And, and, you know, overall you got to wake up every day and ask yourself this question, what's the most valuable thing I could do for my business right now? And you need to ask yourself that while you're doing stuff. And I think you have a really smart approach with finding experts that already, you know, like you'd say outsourcing or just using services that are already have expertise because they already have expertise. People are like, well, I don't want to pay $400 for an attorney. You're not paying for that hour. You're paying for the lifetime of experience that person acquired prior to them condensing what you need in a 50 minute session. And you know, that's then, and I, that it's okay to lean on stuff like that. And maybe you keep it, maybe you don't, but undo the bottleneck. So, so what is the biggest bottleneck that you encounter? Oh man. Well, I'm definitely going through a, um, you know, kind of redefining my, my role this last probably two weeks. I just made two full-time hires. And so I've just off lifted a really big side of our business on the hospital side with our government work on the critical care side. Um, That was taking a lot of my time. Um, Also on the other side, just hiring a manager that was able to kind of take over all of the uh, other hundred clinicians. So really just managing people um, was a huge bottleneck. All my time was spent there and you know, I am the top lead generator and, and the one to be out doing those things too. So kind of just, it's kind of um, frustrating to be working on those things and, and know that you really need to be out doing more sales and just telling people about what you're doing. Um, so I don't know if, um, I don't know if I have a great answer for that right now because I just eliminated two of those bottlenecks. So I'm still kind of like, can't feel my face and you know, what's the next thing I get to focus on, but I feel like we're, you know, that's definitely a step in the right direction. 
I've had a lot of people ask me, they're like, well, what do you want to do at your business? And I always tell them, I said, I want to be Mickey Mouse. And they're like, what, what does that mean? Well, uh, you mentioned being the top lead gen person. Um, the CEO is the face of the company in many ways and needs to be the top salesperson. So that's what Mickey Mouse does for Disneyland. Mickey's out front. He's saying, hey, come on in. Yeah, right. Come on in. He's not in the ticket booth. He's not taking out the trash. He's not selling merch in the gift shop. He's not operating a ride. And, you know, the thing is, is like if you go to Disneyland, like he's not in the inside of the park as much as you might think. I mean, right. he's, he's saying, Hey, come on in folks. Like <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's true. So, but the thing is, 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 is if you can push yourself into that point and you're good at doing that, I'm good at being Mickey mouse. And like the people that work with me and around me know that, and they want me to do that. So that's like literally one of our goals is like the, <laughs> we use the Mickey mouse example. But the thing is though, is that's it. A welcome face, a voice, come on in. You trust Mickey. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I get it. Not everyone likes Disney. That's right, not what, that's sure. not the point here, people. I don't give a shit if you care about Disney or whatever. The idea is that that's a, that's a, a, a known figure. It's like, Hey, come on in. Yep. Uh, come, hey everybody. Come on <laughs> there you go. There's my Mickey voice, but, but that's important. That was awesome. And, but, but that's important. And you know, the thing is, is it's, it's uh, expensive to advertise and acquire business. And, you know, if you're just out there buying that on a click by click or impression by impression basis, it can be real expensive. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We have, um, and we, we do all organic, so we don't do any. Well, so do we. I mean, do, I don't yeah. buy. So well, you... I don't buy any. I don't buy any. <laughs> so you know how tough that is. Well, we do, we do the podcast. We have a blog, and you know the thing is, it's it's a labor. It feels like a labor of love on some days, and you kind of look back at it, and you're like, wow. So I mean, this show's been downloaded 2.3 million times as of today. By yeah. the time this comes out, that'll be over two and a half million. And you kind of look at it, you're like, it's just like stack. You know, if you stack up enough grains of sand. You have a dune or a mountain or something, and you got to kind of just keep after it. And I think that that stuff's important. It's so much easier to make a sale or create a relationship to someone that you know. Right. Or someone that's recommended recommended exactly. by someone that knows you. That's exactly right. And that's what we really try to be focused on is that con like that consultation way of you know doing business yeah. and those referrals and just really being a referral-based business. S same thing at FullScale. That's like, and, and once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by FullScale.io. Go click the Get Started link. It takes three minutes to fill it out. But the worst case scenario will give you some open, honest, non-self-serving advice. I mean, I do that all day with calls. Like, I mean, I tell people all the time, I could go after it and like make my life a major cash grab, but that's not the right thing. Like I want the results. And if I don't think that we can get to where we need to be with any of our clients, I just tell them. Yeah. Well, that's really important, especially with what you guys do, because I know in my early days, you know, there's just a lot of things thrown at you and, and you just don't know what you don't and, know. And that's the point too. It's and, like, you know, people will call and I'll talk to them and they say, Hey, I want to build a mobile app. And they're like, I want to, okay, well, do you have something in mind? And they're like, well, I want to build an iOS one. And if you take the wrong approach with that, you end up with only an app, an Apple app store app. And now you got to go build another one and there's better approaches to it. Like another thing too, with web development is people are like, well, I, I they're like, yeah, I want to do something custom. All right, cool. You should still go buy a template. 
right? And then right. customize it because right. you're going to spend two months and a bunch of time and effort and chopping all that stuff up, or you can go spend 150 bucks and have something that's refined. It'll look better. It'll work better. It'll be more reliable. It'll be a lot more secure and you get to where you need to go faster. Right. And those pieces probably aren't your differentiator. And I'm a person that sells service. So like you mentioned the hospital, like, I mean, honestly, it would theoretically be to my benefit to have someone take longer. I don't want that. If you can't win with the people you're doing business with or helping, they're not going to, well, A, they're not going to stick around. Well, that's, yeah, it's a short term win, you know? So what is... Is this a sticky thing when people get in there? Do they're like, hey, this is a better way to do it? Or you mean customer wise or yeah, just like in general, like the adoption of yeah, this? Yeah, so that- um, that's probably why we've been so successful. Um, you know, we are in a reseller model now, so we don't go, you know, we don't go direct to business anymore. We now have either reinsurance products or third party administrators, people that are actually designing the plan have recognized and studied, you know, what our results are. And so now that's why they're giving those discounts kind of on, you know, the reinsurance piece or different pieces because it's less risk. So we're now called a cost containment strategy and um, we do get called sticky a lot um, found out that was a good thing early on. So that's, that's um, nice to hear. Um, you know, <clears throat> we have an engagement rate, which is crazy of an average of 88%. There's no virtual healthcare, anything in the market that's even close when to that high. When you say high. 88%, does that mean 88% of people that are that subscribe or have access actually use it? Yes. And so I'm very picky about the way, again, common sense based here on the way we measure that. So if we send, you know, three emails out and nobody ever responds to us, but the nurses, you know, contacted them three times this month, that's not engagement. So we only base engagement on one of the members that we have is reached out to us each month for a need for help. You know, they've, they've engaged with us. Um, Again, it's 88%. And I think the highest we've seen anywhere else is 56 yeah, and that's uh, um, just back to the thing. If you if you if people don't find utility in what you're doing, I mean, it gets it's not sticky. It's not sticky. We just provided our millionth service hour, which was crazy. I'm like, wow. Like, you start to like do the math on that. You're like, wow, that's a hundred and twenty five thousand eight hour days. Wow. I know, and you know, it's. I provided none of that service. It was all my employees. They, they're the ones that drive it. And that's, uh, I'm glad to hear that you have some sales channels and different stuff because that, that it can be a big driver and that's, uh, that, that's a good thing. All right. So with me again, I've got Caressa Hutchinson, founder and CEO of Modern Health. Just click the link in the show notes. It's easier. One of Kansas City's top startups on our 2021 list at Startup Hustle. Now I end my shows and I say my shows. I am, you know, I'm not the only host of Startup Hustle now. I don't even know if you know that. We have other hosts. Yeah, I've been checking them out. Yeah. So Lauren Conaway, I think you know Lauren. Yeah. Yeah. So Lauren's awesome and she's got a weekly show and has for almost a year and a half now, as well as Andrew Morgans, who is on the main floor of our new building here in downtown Kansas City, Kansas. Um, And Andrew uh, is the founder and CEO of Marknology, and they help people sell stuff on Amazon, which is 
Oh, which is maybe as complex and frustrating as healthcare <laughs> on many days. You're like, I just want to sell this toy. You know, you're right. like, no, you got to go through 9,000 different things and do all this and that. But I had my episodes now with what I call the founders freestyle. And I like to give everyone that's a guest to, well, I actually had one dude rap like freestyle, but I'm not going to ask you to do that. It's more of a reconciliation period. Like, are there, is there anything that we, that we talked about or didn't talk about that you think is important for listeners to know and your maybe, you know, could be advice to founders. I'm sure your outlook on being a founder is much different than it was three years ago or I don't know, really anything. Sure. Um, well, let me touch on, I think it's pretty cool work that we're doing. And just so, you know, I think it's important to get it out there that's happening in Kansas City because it's, a. I also think, a really important part of the work we're doing. Um, we have been working with the government for a little over a year now and providing and building a completely new program called the um, National Emergency Telecritical Care Network. And this is a program that's got funding for about the next 20 years. It's working just, you know, alongside FEMA and Red Cross and and the likes of groups like that um, with, within the DOD as well. Um, it's been that's been a really interesting thing to see the last year as we're able to go in remotely to healthcare settings in rural areas. So maybe a critical access hospital that is now having to keep a vented patient for, you know, several hours before they're able to, um, you know, transfer that patient to a higher acuity hospital. And a lot of cases, they're not even a lot, you know, able to transfer because the hospitals have been so, you know, filled up. So in that case, you've got, a patient, you know, being taken care of by a team that, you know, doesn't have the skill set and just doesn't see that type of thing and isn't used to caring for that type of patient, which can be very terrifying, obviously, for the clinicians as well. Um, so it's been really amazing to see how we've been able to come in across the country. Um, we have nurses right now and respiratory therapists that are at home on a computer and supporting 30 critical access hospitals. So, you know, critical access hospital can call and ask a question about a patient and we can visually be in the room with them through video and assess the patient and really help them with that care plan. So we've been doing that for over a year and that's actually materialized into a couple commercial um, contracts with some pretty big, you know, hospital systems. So I think it's just important um, that we kind of continue to get our, our web, if you will, into as many aspects of really improving the outcomes of healthcare as possible. Now, on the entrepreneur side, um, I think my biggest piece of advice is find someone that will give you tough feedback. You know, I, I got so frustrated being this and yeah, Matt's raising his hand and I believe him. And I think he may have given me some early on. Um, but, you know, when you're really passionate about something, you don't want just people to say, good job. That's really not what you're looking for. You're passionate about solving the problem. And, you know, I think being a nurse and my mission is, you know, somewhat heartwarming for people. And so I've got a lot of um, smiles and, you know, I'm so cool that you're doing something good. That's so sweet. Um, it really took when I found people that I could get with that I could really talk about the mission and would give me tough feedback and say, this isn't working or that's not going the right way. And, and then me being able to actually absorb that information and say, okay, it's not working. That's the hard part of feedback. Yeah. Not getting it. It's listening to it. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, 
Um, it, it's funny. I raised my hand because I'm the guy that gets this call. Hey, I just, I really want to get your feedback because I know you'll tell me the truth. And I, I mean, it's, I get that so much that I'm at the point where I actually have rules with it. Like I say, okay, I'll give you my feedback, but there, I have two rules. One, I'm not going to argue with you at the end about whether you're right or I'm right. I don't do that. And two, I, you can't get mad at me if I don't tell you what you want, if I don't tell you what you want to hear. Right. And, you know, we're here in Kansas City, once again, with Caressa Hutchinson from Modern Health, one of Kansas City's top startups. Now, Kansas City in the Midwest, we have a term here called Midwest yes. Nice. So frustrating. I am, I am not Midwest <laughs> Nice. And, and, but it, I am. And I'm not, though, because I don't just want to walk around and crush people's dreams. I mean, if people are going to ask for structured feedback, give it to them. But if you're going to ask for it, listen. Because, right. you know, that's the thing. And I, I remember having a conversation with you at, in, in the rain outside of like a startup event or something. <laughs> and uh, um, I, and I, I it, some of it was just about you were you were trying to raise capital and support and whatever. And I think that uh, I can't remember what I said, but I remember the look on your face because <laughs> you were very surprised because I was saying the opposite <laughs> of what several other people had sat along the way, which here's the thing is like, there's a rainy day and a sunny day scenario to pretty much all entrepreneurship. And I think too many people they're well, they're obsessed with one side of it. They're either trying, they're like chicken little talking about the sky is falling mm -hmm. and they're trying to prevent that. So if you are too focused on that, then what happens ever that everything goes right? And then some people are focused on uh, just assuming everything's going to go right. And then they don't have an umbrella, a raincoat cover or right. anything. And it's rainy. And, you know, that that, uh, you know, that has a lot to, to do about it. I mean, I think one of my takeaways from this conversation is, first off, there's there's a ton of room for growth and disruption and well, so many industries. And. Uh, you know, I, I wake up on some days and feel like, oh man, all the good ideas are gone. And, but they're not, there's yeah. like, I mean, it just shocks me, uh, you know, like recently had guests about con the construction industry, which like is gotta be like one of the first five industries ever. Mm -hmm. People have been building shelter and stuff like that. And I'm just shocked at like how archaic parts of it are, you know, and then, you know, healthcare, which is something everyone needs. And there's a growing and increasing pressure on it. Now for me, I've, my sister's an anesthesiologist and she's married to a guy that was an ER doctor and now works for the CDC. And, you know, part of his mission is trying to solve a lot of the problems. Like it's tough for me to see the strain, you know, like, even, I mean, you're talking about doctors, nurses, and they're sitting there going, man, this is messed up. Like there's, but how do you, how do you go, you know, like, you're sitting there looking at it. You're like, here's an elephant and I got to eat this thing. How do I start? Well, with one bite at yeah, a time. Absolutely. Start with the tail, start with the yeah. tail and, you know, go from there, but you got to get started at it. Um, one of the things I'll say, I'm very proud of you because years ago I was talking to a nurse. I didn't, I didn't get that today. I'm talking to an entrepreneur and a startup founder that's done really well, fist bump. <laughs> And, but that's, that's the metamorphosis that, that we go through. And, you know, so many people decide not to do something. Like, I don't have any experience doing that. None of us did until right. we did it. 
You know, like you can go to college and get a degree in entrepreneurship. And I'm positive that 99% of what they're going to teach you is not. Oh, yeah. Is not what really happens yeah. out there. I've started printing um, new college degrees for myself. Yeah. So I'm just going to start yeah. putting them in my office. I dropped I just, out of five colleges. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I might be a junior. Now. <laughs> my best hope is of getting a degree is probably an honorary degree somewhere in the Philippines at this point. So, you know, that's, that's, and I told, I told Jill, my wife, I'm, she's like, well, do you really think they'll give you a degree? Well, yeah. Cause I'm about to give away a bunch of college scholarships there. So they might. And she's like, well, what are you going to get a degree? And I'm like, I'm not, I'm going straight to post-grad. I'm going to give, <laughs> I want, I want letters after my name so I can tell like my, my sister, so your doctor. And every, no, yeah, well, yeah, because <laughs> nothing will irritate her more. Yeah, my than, chiropractor brother does that to me. What? <laughs> okay, so I'm not even. I'm not going to get too close to that. But we've had discussions about that. We're like, are you really? No, I mean, yep. I don't know. You're like a half a doctor, like a total he doctor, is, like. But yeah, I'm so always be like, well, well, doctor, doctor, doctor De Corsi. You're talking about my sister right now. That's not me. But hey, hey. Keep hustling. You guys are doing great. I'm looking forward to um, congrats on making making our list. It was a we really dug in deep. I mean, this is like we've been visiting a, a virtually visiting a city every month and learning all of the interesting things that go on regionally. And here in Kansas City, there's such there's there's such a it, it's amazing. All these different all these different cities have and regions have these strengths and like healthcare is actually a, a big thing here in Kansas city yeah. health and actually animal health too. Mm -hmm. It's actually known as the animal health corridor. And there's a lot of insurance and a lot of stuff like that. Very pos positioned very well to get in front of like some of the right people. And it's just, it's just so interesting to see how, um, you know, and you look at like Kansas city, here we are in the 25th biggest media market and there's such an amazing startup scene here. Yeah. <clears throat> I looked at the list and, um, yeah, I just really appreciate, you know, being included with the list and, and with the amazing startup, you know, other startups and on that list. And, um, I also really appreciate that, you know, it wasn't, um, a funding necessarily, uh, you know, we, so yeah, we made sure to not, that's like, I'm so tired. Like, I'm so tired of that. I'm going to not, I'm going to avoid stepping up on the soapbox, but we need to celebrate businesses growth and revenue and not yeah. just be like, Hey, you got a ton of funding. Woo. Like, right. So I like wear that as a badge that, you know, that we've been able to well, stay you, away you from that and we're actually, like, you know, yeah. I mean, well, I, growing I with sales go, and I'll revenue. $10 million in revenue last year. I don't have any I, I, I own 50, 50 with my business partner, Matt, you know, we don't have, right. haven't had any other investors. I mean, t literally bootstrapped. Now too many people are going to be like, yeah, but you guys had a lot of success before that. So we still wrote the checks, right? Still wrote the checks, right? Same I thing. You, you know, you, but you put it out there. I think I, I actually find it to be, I, I prefer to write my own checks because then I'm living up to my own. I, I can, I can. Yeah. And you make a business case about everything. It, well, it's, well, yes. And it's also like, it's also easier for me to justify on the days where I'm not my best because I, I feel very beholden to the, I have a lot of responsibility with a couple hundred employees. I mean, you do too. Right. And that, and by the way, that gets heavy. That gets heavy during the heavy times. Like when the pandemic hit, you know, I, I lost a lot of money last year. But yeah. I did it knowing I was doing it because I was protecting my people. I was keeping them where they needed to be. And I knew things would get better. 
sometimes time cures that. And sometimes your checkbook cures it. And sometimes you just like, I don't know. I mean, I'm 46 years old now. I've learned that there's no such thing as a business without problems right. without problems. And there's no such thing as software without bugs. <laughs> so, you know, I think once I, I accepted both of those things, then my life got a lot easier. Thank you again for joining me and us and all of the people listening. And thank you for all the listeners out there, uh, 190 countries. Like, who are you people? Who Hi. are you people? Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Thanks, Matt. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. We do it.